Good morning again. I'm glad you are here. And again, welcome all of you students that are here, and especially Duke crew that uh, have brought uh, the, the crowd this morning. So I'm glad all students are here and uh, do want all students to know that we are, are grateful uh, for you coming. And if God calls you to be in this church, we deeply value being a church that wants to love well and pastor well the students that God brings to Christ Central Church. And so glad you're here. Uh, I think it was announced at the beginning uh, that September 10th, two weeks from now, is our big fall launch. Uh, and what that means is multiple things. We are making a move to two services on September 10th. We'll, we'll no longer have a 10 a.m. service. We're going to be doing a 9 a.m. and a 10.45 a.m. service. And we actually have some flyers to remind you after the service um, if you would want to take those with you. We're going to be beginning a new sermon series September 10th, our fall series uh, that we've titled Journey of Redemption. We're going to be studying the Old Testament book of Exodus this fall and very excited for us to dive into Exodus together. But this morning I am preaching the second part of a two-part sermon series, The Church Gathered and Scattered. Timothy, if you were here last week, preached a great sermon on The Church Gathered. And he gave us a, a whole biblical perspective on God's ultimate aim in all things. That from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God's aim is the worship of God by the people of God in God's place. And this morning, I want to talk about the church scattered. Or the church on God's mission. Worship and mission are the two drum beats of the whole Bible. Worship and mission. The church gathered assembled and the church scattered, sent to be a blessing. I'm going to attempt to give you a fresh perspective on the scriptures this morning, the whole Bible, which I don't think is too big of a task, right, to give you a fresh perspective on the whole of the Bible. But I am praying for all of us this morning that we would have new eyes to see the grand vision of the scriptures. And so I'm going to read the whole of chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew. And as our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's Word, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 together. This is God's Word to us this morning. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went, guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would give us new eyes to see, that you would soften and inflame our hearts this morning with, with this vision of what you've called your people, your church to be. Would we see Christ exalted, the King of all kings, and would you move us to be a part of this kingdom that you are building? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. How many of y'all wore these on Monday? Let me see, let me see some hands. How many of y'all wore these on Monday? All right. A lot of you. Uh, Timothy and I alternated looking at them. I didn't have any, but Timothy had some at the office, and so we alternated looking. Uh, But on Monday, for the first time in 38 years, we had a total eclipse. Totality, the name of this eclipse that captivated our country. Millions of people drove south, camped out, reserved hotels, places where they could see the eclipse happen. All the news outlets covered it. Facebook was blowing up. On Monday, the whole country was captivated by totality. It was a warning issued, right, by, by many. Don't, do, don't look directly into the sun or else your eyes might burn, right? Your eyes might fall out. Make sure you have the right glasses or else it could be dangerous. On Monday, I, I drove around Durham for a little while and I, I drove past Duke Gardens, which is right by Duke's West Campus, and there was a long line of people waiting to get in for a viewing party of totality. I drove past Pony Source Brewery right here downtown, Hundreds of people out at Pony Source waiting to see the eclipse. I drove around East Durham, just east of here, and I saw an older brother carrying his little brother on his back. Both had glasses in their hands waiting to see totality. For a few minutes, everyone was glaring up and looking directly to see the moon pass over the sun. It was a vision that captivated our whole country across age, race, and class. My wife and I were eating dinner with a couple in our church a, a, a week ago, and the man uh, that we were with was joking, uh, said he'd been joking with the employees of his company, saying, what if every single employee of our company, this was before last Monday, what if every single employee of our company was captivated by the, comp- the company's common vision for just two minutes, like the, like the country would be with totality? What could the company accomplish? Well, I want to ask you, what do you think the church of Jesus Christ, what could Christ central as one church among many accomplish if we were captivated by a biblical vision that caused us all to live in awe, a vision that would motivate and move us in every aspect of our life? Everybody joked about having the right glasses or else damage could be done. I think many of us have the wrong glasses as we read the Bible and as we live our lives. And it does immense damage to our Christianity, and it does immense damage to the way we live our life. As I talk about the church on mission this morning, the last thing I want to do is motivate you with guilt. I could motivate with guilt this morning. I could give you statistics about AIDS and sex trafficking and poverty and unreached people groups, and we need to know those statistics. 
But I, I, and I could call all of you here this morning to, to go and do and add one more thing to your already busy lives to make you feel more guilty that you're not doing enough and that you're not enough. But what I want to do this morning and my prayer for all of us this morning is that God would enlarge our hearts. That He would captivate our imaginations with an explosive vision of Jesus' rule over the whole world. Explosive. I pray that it would excite you more than Monday. Explosive. I pray that it would blow apart our tendencies to reduce the Bible and to reduce Jesus. That it would blow apart our tendencies to put the message of the Bible and Jesus in particular into some manageable box. So let me start in a similar manner as Timothy did last week and give you what I believe is the central message of the whole Bible. God's mission. Or we could call it God's kingdom. I'm going to do a flyover version, two-minute version of the Old Testament to set up looking at Matthew chapter 28. Genesis 1, God created the world. It was paradise. It was a kingdom on earth. God's presence perfectly with God's people and humanity was to spread this paradise, this kingdom to the ends of the earth. But humanity wanted to live on its own terms and sin entered the world resulting in sin, death, and disease. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and beyond, the world would cry out to be rescued. So God would call Abraham to himself. And through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, 12 tribes. And Israel would be the chosen nation, a people unto God, Exodus chapter 19. And through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's plan has always been to bless the nations. And then King David would be set apart. And David's unborn son, God would appoint to create an everlasting kingdom and bless the nations, 2 Samuel chapter 7. But God's people waited for this everlasting kingdom. They're wondering where it is. And so prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jonah, they speak to the people of God and, and say they have forfeited this privilege because of their disobedience. And so God sends his people into exile. But they still had the unconditional promise that one day all the nations will be brought into this kingdom through a king. And we see in Isaiah chapters 50, 53, Daniel chapter 7, the promise of this king. But they're still wondering, where is he? And where is this kingdom? And the Old Testament ends with the people of God under the rule of Caesar, waiting for a king to set them free. And they waited for 400 years. And then Jesus shows up. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and he proclaims that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here because the king is here. And he preaches one of the greatest sermons ever, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, which is all about life in the kingdom. All of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. Jesus' public ministry ends with a cross where he's dressed in purple, color of royalty. He's stripped down and he's left with one article, a crown. A crown of thorns on his head with a sign over his head reading, King of the Jews. Jesus' life and teaching inaugurated the kingdom. 
Jesus' death on the cross was the climax and security of the kingdom. And we pick up in Matthew 28, Jesus' resurrection is Jesus' vindication, his proof that he is the king and his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I've been watching uh, Last, uh, Last Chance You, the second season on Netflix, and uh, you know, I've been laughing a little bit. Uh, if you don't know, Last Chance You is a, a documentary on Netflix about uh, Scuba, Mississippi, junior college football team, East Mississippi Community College. It, I'm, I'm like, I'm hooked, I'm blowing through each episode, but I've been laughing because at the end of every practice, in the end of every game, they say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they say the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But how they pray, someone initiates by saying, uh, who's Father? And then the whole team says, our Father who art in heaven. Amen. And I laugh because that's how I said the Lord's Prayer growing up. On sports teams, that's how I said the Lord's Prayer uh, at school. I'd mutter my way as fast as I could through the Lord's Prayer. It's an explosive prayer if we think about what's being prayed. The central message of the whole Bible, the central message of Jesus, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This morning, I really didn't want to preach from Matthew 28. I was reluctant to use it. I've actually never preached from it because when I became a Christian in high school and grew a lot in college, this text, and particularly Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, were used over and over and over to drive missions. This call to go. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 has become a slogan for many churches and many ministries. It's this call to add missions to your life. And I don't think we can proof text missions. I don't want you to think that mission is something we add to the Christian life. I think a lot of us have been taught that's true. God's mission is what the whole Bible is about. It's the central message of the Scriptures, not an addition. And if Matthew 28, 18 to 20 become marching orders for us, rather than an expression of who we're called to be as God's redeemed humanity, then we'll miss the full explosive vision of God's kingdom. Matthew 28, see in verses 1 to 10, the resurrection of King Jesus, the resurrection of Christ. Verse 5, they're looking, they're seeking Jesus who was crucified, put to death. He's no longer in the grave. He is risen. Therefore, go and tell. Go proclaim. Therefore, go live in light of this truth of Jesus' resurrection, that he's the king, and his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. I read the whole chapter of Matthew 28 purposefully. Because Matthew 28, 18 through 20, known by many, maybe many of you as the Great Commission, has become like the primary missions text. But before it was ever a missions text, it was an Easter story. God's mission. Our mission as God's people is bound to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mission is a consequence of the resurrection. It is resurrection, then mission. So a big question for all of us this morning and for you this morning, is do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? If you believe Christ rose from the grave, then he is king. 
and the logical, necessary consequence is that all of your life is His. And that He reigns over every part of our world, over all nations. Listen to me, complete surrender to the King. Abiding trust in Jesus is what will cause the church to explode in mission. Not guilt, not shame, but a vision of our King and a vision of His kingdom. So let me ask you a few questions from Matthew 28 this morning. The first question, what type of mission are you living on? What type of mission are you living on? Look at verse 11 with me. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people. His disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The chief priest getting together with the elders, tell the soldiers to go spread the word, to go evangelize that the disciples stole Jesus' body while they were asleep. They had a counter-mission to God's mission. It was to spread the word that Jesus was still dead, that Jesus was still in the grave. There are only two missions that any of us can live on. We're either living on God's mission, trusting Jesus as our king, seeking first his kingdom, or we're living on a counter-mission, believing Jesus never rose from the dead. At least acting like Jesus never rose from the dead. Living on this counter-mission is acting like Jesus is still in the tomb. And it expresses its, way, its ways in, in many ways within our own lives. It could look like a mission for you for a particular lifestyle. You're driven by money or comfort or power. You're driven by a mission for some particular social issue, some political issue, and your hopes in a party of, of some sort or an agenda. You can be driven by a mission for another religion. And what do you think the attackers in Barcelona were driven by? They were living for a mission. ISIS is driven by a mission, a wrong mission, in my opinion, but a mission all the same. Every single person is living for a mission, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us. The question is, what mission are we living for? Jesus's or a counter-mission? If you were driven by Jesus as the resurrected king and his mission to bless the nations, then you will order your life around his desires, you order your life around his commands, you order your life around the vision Jesus cast of his kingdom. It will mean that Jesus has universal lordship over all things in your life. Your time, your talent, your money, your job, your schooling, your recreations. You will not be able to be silent and not talk about Jesus. You'll not be able to be, be sitting idly by and not engage in this world for the sake of his mission and his glory. Resurrection, therefore, mission helps us guard the full message of the gospel. I, I mentioned earlier that we can often have the wrong lenses, the wrong glasses uh, as we look at our Christianity and the life that we live in, it can cause damage. Let me share a little bit how that can be true. I think some of us, uh, us, I'm saying universal here, 
Some of us can reduce Jesus and his kingdom to just the life of Christ. Like talking about Jesus' miracles. Like to talk about Jesus' compassion and his love for people. And if we reduce the gospel to just Jesus' life, it becomes a social gospel. And all of Christianity comes about helping the poor and the marginalized, and we reduce the kingdom just to this world. And on the other hand, some of us can reduce Jesus and his kingdom to primarily all about the death of Christ. And if we reduce Jesus to just his death, then the gospel becomes about sin management because Jesus died just to forgive my sin. And it becomes all about the forgiveness of my sin and Christianity becomes about a mere profession of faith without any earthly difference. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ helps us hold the full message of the gospel, a gospel of the kingdom. A kingdom that will come to earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom that is eternal, unshakable, immovable. One in which Christ will reign forever and ever. What mission are you living on? The second question I have for you is what type of people does God use for his mission? What type of people does God use? Look at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now throughout the book of Matthew, if you have read through the book of Matthew, there are twelve disciples. But Judas, one of the twelve, hangs himself because of his guilt of betraying Jesus. And so now there are eleven disciples. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, it tells us that these eleven disciples desert Jesus because they feared their own persecution. And here we say, see they're worshiping, but they're also doubting. These 11 disciples are not the perfect and put together 12 disciples. These 11 disciples are limping along. They're imperfect, they're broken, and they're flawed. And this is the community that Jesus commissions to be on his mission. Jesus uses the weak and the wounded and the broken for his kingdom. And I hope that's an encouragement to every single one of you because that means God wants to use you. God wants to use every single person in here. There was a, a grandmother who raised her orphan grandson to be a Christian. The orphan grandson sold shoes for a living one day which sharing uh, a customer came in and he shared the gospel with the customer and the customer became a christian customer went home and shared the gospel with his next door neighbor who became a christian and that next door neighbor happened to be billy graham one of our country's greatest evangelists who in that chain of events was significant for god's mission the grandmother the grandson the customer or Billy Graham? Every single one of them. Every single one of them. There are no little people in God's kingdom. There are no super Christians like Billy Graham and then little Christians like the shoe salesman. We are all significant and major players in God's kingdom. So wherever God has placed you and he's positioned you in this life at this time, God has put you there for the sake of his kingdom purposes, to be at work through you. Just remember, God doesn't use the proud and the arrogant. 
God doesn't call the self-sufficient and the uber-gifted. God commissions a limping along, broken group of 11 disciples who change the world. God uses broken and contrite, weak and wounded, who trust and depend on Jesus. You know why? Because then the king gains the glory. Because the kingdom's about the king, it's not about us. This is who Jesus uses on his mission. Well, let's look lastly, the third question. What is the mission? Look at verse 18. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus makes a declaration ever before he speaks the commission. And it is a declaration, it's a proclamation that all authority is Jesus's. He's the king. So the question again is, do you believe this? Do you believe he's the king? And here's how you know. You go and make disciples of all nations. Verse 19 says, therefore... Again, the logical consequence of believing that Jesus is king is that we go on mission. And our mission is to bear witness to the authority of Christ. So we gather here every Sunday morning to worship, to be together, and then we're sent out into this world to bear witness to Christ as king in our vocations, at school, in our neighborhoods, in all the places God has put us, so that every corner of the globe is pointed to Jesus. We are to go to every dark corner of Durham, every dark corner of every country in this world, so that the light of Christ will break through as the church bears witness to Him as King. The world, the watching world, should see those of us who trust Christ, the church, ordering our lives around the king, ordering our lives around his kingdom and be pointed to Jesus to trust and follow this king. Let me get you to take a moment. And I want you to think about all the different spheres of influence and relationships that you have. It could be your workplaces, your neighborhood, your campus, your dorm, organizations, Now think about all the churches in Durham right now that are gathering and all the people in those churches. And we're all going to be sent out here to witness to King Jesus and his kingdom Monday through Saturday. To proclaim him with words of the gospel of good news and to proclaim him by the demonstration of our lives, by the way we love those around us. Missions is not something we add to the Christian life. It's not something we add to our calendar. God's mission is the way we understand why our calendar exists. It's why we exist. Let me just add here, coming out of Matthew 28. Some of you will be called, and I pray will fill the call to go to the nation to take the good news of Jesus and his kingdom to the whole world. And our motivation is because Christ is king in every city and in every town and every nation. And we are to bear witness to him in all places of the world. I pray, I pray that many of us would be captivated by this explosive vision, so much so that we'll have people, some of our best people of Christ Central Church, saying, we're going. We're leaving this place, and we're going to point people to Christ 
where there, where there is darkness. The vision of God's kingdom calls us deeper into Durham, even away from our city to the nations. Now, I, I like to talk about the church, since this is our two-part series on the church. I like to talk about the church as an organism and as an organization. The Christ Central is an organism and an organization. We're an organi- organism in that what happens here on Sunday morning as we gather and we worship points us all to who Jesus is and this kingdom that we're a part of, and then we are sent out to live out the gospel wherever God's called us to be. We're an organism pointing people to Jesus everywhere in this city and around the world. And Christ Central is an organization that we provide structures, some of what Timothy was mentioning earlier, avenues of ministry like Sunday mornings, city group, life group, children's ministries, women's and men's Bible studies. These are things we organize as a church. And since we started this church in January of 2014, we have always prayed that we, Christ Central, would engage Durham in such a way that the city knows why we're here, why we exist, that we exist for the glory of God and the flourishing and good of this city. We've always called you as followers of Christ to go deeper into the places of our city to bear witness to Jesus. We've called you to do so in your relationships, in your workplaces, to volunteer whether that be in job training, affordable housing, mentoring, tutoring, or if it's just calling you to invite your neighbor into your home for a meal. The whole time we've been calling you to live on mission. We partner with local ministries to encourage you to participate in these ministries, and we will continue to do so. But this year we've decided to choose a few things to organize ourselves around in regards to moving into our city. Now I hope you hear that Being the organism on God's mission is equally as important as being Christ Central organized on God's mission. But we do want to offer opportunities, initiatives that we are organizing as God's church here in the city. And here are four things that we are attempting to put before you this year. The first is an affordable housing initiative. Coming up with a name, but we've got people in our church that are excited about helping low-income homeowners keep their homes. So that is one initiative that we are driving and organizing behind this year. The second is a school partnership. C.C. Spalding is an elementary just uh, a street over, and we're going to partner with them about ways that we can bless them and see their their school flourish. The third is a Hispanic outreach ministry. God has brought uh, Demetrio Rodriguez and his wife into our church, and Demetrio is an ordained pastor uh, from Puerto Rico, and He is going to begin reaching out to the Hispanic community of Durham, uh, which is so exciting. And and so this is another way we are organizing. And then the fourth you've already heard about, but I'll mention again, is uh, RUF and North Carolina Central with Chris Cooper, who's been called here to be on that campus and engage and minister on Christ's behalf. So what we're going to do is after the service, we're going to have four tables set up on the pavilion outside with all four of these kind of opportunities available for you an affordable housing initiative, a partnership in education, Hispanic outreach, and a campus ministry at North Carolina Central. There'll be people at those tables, ways for you to sign up if you want to know more information, if you want to know what's going to happen, give your name, give your number, how you can participate and be together with uh, these opportunities. We are excited, church. We're excited to begin to organize and push ourselves into the city in these ways. But Matthew 28, 18 to 20 it's not marching orders for us this morning. It cannot be some slogan that we use for missions. 
It is, mission is the consequence of a community that believes Jesus is king and that his kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. It's all of life. Mission is the so what to the resurrection. The whole Bible is this explosive vision where we look with fresh eyes and are captivated and driven to live all of our life for the sake of Jesus. Do you believe he's risen? Do you believe he's king? Then we cannot call complacency busyness. We cannot call indifference tolerance. And we cannot call lack of speaking up being non judgmental. Christ is king, and his kingdom is a life altering priority. It turns the church on its head and sends us out of this place. So let me finish by how Jesus finished, because this mission can seem big. All the nations of the earth. How are we going to be a part of that? Jesus says at verse 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. This is Jesus' promise. It's not a strategy for missions. It's his promise. Jesus gives us himself in the promise that the kingdom will come and that the king will accomplish the building of it. And he gives us, his people, his presence. A presence in which he said will never leave nor forsake us. And it is a presence that will comfort us when we suffer or we feel alone. It is a presence that takes away our fear when we are scared. It's a presence that empowers us when we feel inadequate. And it's a presence that emboldens us when we want to shrink back. The risen Christ with his presence and authority with us as he calls us into our city to bear witness to Christ the King, to proclaim him with our words and to demonstrate him with our lives so that all are pointed to the King and to his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would captivate us. Lord, I I know I start talking about a kingdom and Lord, a lot of us don't even fully comprehend that word. But Lord, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Something that Paul tells us if we don't believe it's true, if it's not true, then we are all the most to be pitied. We bank and stake our lives in this church on the resurrection of Christ the King. And we believe it. We pray that you would send us out, therefore, on your mission. We thank you that your presence is with us. In Jesus' name, amen.